0: I hope you don't mind me being sat like this. Uh, not only is it in keeping with the informality of the evening services, typically we have a an um, interview uh, in which we both be sat down, so you've only got one person sat tonight. Also makes me feel more relaxed and less nervous about speaking before you all, so um, yeah, I hope it's okay. You can all be as relaxed as I am. I love stories. Uh, Since I was little, I've always found myself captivated by the art of a story, whether that's in TV, uh, on films, uh, in books, music, art, whatever it might be. Um, There is something in the ability of a good story to transport me to another world, to offer me a fresh, different perspective. I remember enjoying stories when I was young. Um, I think, actually, probably I've grown... Um, more interested in the perspectives offered by stories throughout my life Um, and well you can ask Emily, I eat up books and stories, interviews, whatever it might be just trying to learn more and more from different people currently um, I'm reading this book it's called Chernobyl Prayer by Svetlana Aleksevich Uh, she won the Nobel Prize for Literature um, and she's developed a, a style of writing which I think it's described in here as uh, a psychobiography of a nation, which uh, uh, I don't know, it makes me so excited to think about actually what she's capturing is uh, the history of what people were thinking in communities, particularly for her, people that are affected by um, severe trauma. So, this is a book about their lives. Uh, and the testimonies of people affected by the Chernobyl nuclear accident in 1986. I'm sure many of you will remember the scenes quite vividly. Um, I wasn't alive at the time, and media coverage has been, until actually very recently, there was a TV series about it. Um, Media coverage has been relatively quiet on it. Um, So for me, this is almost like new, fresh pictures coming to me. Um, And the book offers a spectrum of responses of people, families that were torn apart, people that have lost others, people that have lost their homes, their work. What strikes me the most is that as a reader, I'm confronted with the thoughts and feelings of those who were there. Only they could have that information to share. They had to have been through it to offer insight into what it's like, to have suffered at the hands of an invisible enemy, to try and reconcile what life looks like after a nuclear catastrophe. So I love stories because they offer insight into minds and experiences of others. So when we decided to look at the parables, uh, we've got a little series on at the moment at resound on the parables, I was excited by the opportunity to look at the stories that Jesus uses to try and teach the insight into his thoughts that the parables give to the mind of God, but also the perspectives of those who will be teaching us on them in uh, shared one we've had Angela James has shared um, different people reading different ways into these stories as well as exposing what Jesus says through them. So this evening we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower, potentially one of the more common, commonly known, better known parables. Um, and the challenge for me is to not only reaffirm that which you'll already know of the parable, its heart and its meaning, but to offer fresh ideas and perspectives through it. Um, I couldn't bring anything new to the table this evening. There'd be no point in me speaking. So we're going to get stuck in. Feel free to read along if you've got a Bible with you, but I thought um, a fresh take on it might be to watch a short video which tells us a story. Um, so I apologize to the young people who've already seen this, but um, we're going to watch a little video which tells us the story of the parable of the Sower. <laughs>
1: One day, a farmer went out to sow some seeds. As he walked along, he threw the seeds wherever he went. Each seed was the same, bright and green and full of the potential for life. Some of the seeds fell on stony ground There was nowhere for their roots to grow. They just sat there. Birds spotted the seeds from the air. They flew down and ate them up. Some seeds fell on rocky places, where there wasn't much soil. They quickly grew at first, but the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, they withered and died, because they had no root. Some other seeds fell among thorns. The seeds started to grow, but the thorns grew bigger, and they choked the new plants, so they didn't produce any crop. They just disappeared. But other seeds fell on good soil. They grew and grew, strong and bright, and the life in the seeds bore an amazing crop, some with thirty grains, some sixty, and some even a hundred grains of corn.
0: We've got the gift of hindsight. We've had uh, years and years, I'm sure, of teaching of stories like these um, people unfolding to us, even from a young age for many of us, what this story means. Um, The Bible, however, tells us that the disciples were not so uh, fortunate as us to have that insight. It's one of the examples where we get to see some of the ineptitude of the disciples, uh, maybe their normalness or averageness. And after this story is told, they they question what it means. They ask Jesus, can he just tell us in even clearer language? Um, And so he does. So if we read now from Matthew 13, 18 to 23, we find the explanation for this story. It says this. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke their word, and it yields nothing. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This reading is fairly self-explanatory, in that it is literally an uh, explanation And as we go into a time of prayer response later, we've got some prayer uh, stations around the room. These um, will be reflecting this reading and this uh, explanation from Jesus of the story. But for now, I want to ask you, where do you find yourself in this story? Do you feel like at the moment you're on rocky ground, rootless and vulnerable? Perhaps you feel like you're among thorns. Life's pretty thorny. It's all too easy to get entangled with the stresses and pressures of life. They can prevent our growth. And that's what lies for me at the heart of this parable. If we are the seeds, our purpose is growth. Seeds are meant to be planted. They're meant to grow into plants. It's what we're made for, growing in faith and growing in relationship with God. Now, it occurs to me the seed is meant for the good soil, Yet the sower doesn't just place the seeds in the good soil. I, I don't know why that is, really. But with that question, we have the opportunity to gain the perspective of the sower. Does the sower scatter seeds randomly, with no care or thought? Maybe it's not actually about the sowing itself, but the story can reflect the fact that people find themselves in different circumstances in life. Some are born into rocky places, others into good soil. So does this mean that some people are more predisposed to receive the word of God than others? Well, thankfully, the Bible has more to say in this area and can offer us some assistance here. One of my New Year's resolutions was to read more. Uh, So at the start of the year, I sat down and began to study the book of Job, uh, which is my favorite book of the Bible, Um, And alongside it, I was reading this commentary um, by a liberation theologian called Gustavo Gutierrez. Um, He is Peruvian and uh, was born and raised amongst poverty, amongst oppressive structures uh, in Peru. So his insight into the nature of suffering really opened up some of what was being taught in the Book of Job. In fact, one of the key points of the Book of Job uh, that stood out to me this time round Comes from Job 36:15, which reads, "He delivers the afflicted by their affliction; he being God, God delivers the afflicted by their affliction." Seemed uh, contradictory to me at first, but upon thinking further, and as uh, Gutierrez unpacks it in this book, it became clear how God uses our struggles and our trials to draw us closer to God's self this point and this reading is then echoed in the passage uh, of Jesus' own teaching. If we turn to Matthew 19, 16 to 30, uh, there's a story which, again, may be familiar to some of you, which looks at the opposite end of the spectrum. So Matthew 19, 16. Then someone came to Jesus and said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to Jesus, Which ones? And he said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honour your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. The young man said to him, I've kept all of these. What do I lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, Go, sell your possessions, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. When the young man heard these words, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, Look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who were first will be last, and the last will be first. we get the impression through these biblical texts that it is more difficult for some to receive the kingdom of God, the word of God, than others. And actually, it's potentially the opposite way around to what we might have thought. As we think then of the sower, let it be a reminder to us that we don't all start in the same place when it comes to relationship with God. We talk quite a lot about our individual journeys with God, what those look like, and would be foolish to think that there was uniformity in those. No two journeys look the same. <clears throat> we may start in different places. The different grounds in this parable uh, show a picture, which is wonderful, if not a little cruel, that, of the apparent randomness by which we find ourselves in our circumstances starting out in life. I did nothing to be brought into a family with Christian parents who were supportive and encouraging to me, nor did the child born into a broken home do anything to deserve or to warrant that. We must remember those who fall into rocky or thorny soil. One final perspective I want to consider is that of an onlooker. Perhaps a gardener might be um, a more useful position if you want specifics, given the scenery of the story. To what extent can we look after the land on which the seeds are scattered? I've been reading through a book. I haven't got it with me, actually, but I've been reading through a book by Ruth Valerio called Saying Yes to Life. It's actually the Archbishop of Canterbury's 2020 book for Lent. Um, I recommend it. It's very interesting so far. Um, And she speaks a lot about environmental concern. She's working through the seven days of creation, looking at what each one teaches us about God's nature and about our nature, but also the environmental issues that are related to those. Uh, For example, lack of water for many in the world, uh, the environmental cost of producing light that we use. And each day as I read, I'm reminded that we are called to care for the planet, for the incredible world that God has given to us. But if we But you might have to go with me a little bit here. It's quite abstract, but you've got it in you. If we apply this mindset uh, to the gardener in this story, the onlooker, those perceiving the sower and the seeds, we begin to get questions like this. What does it look like for us to look after the soil in preparation of the sower? Can we get rid of some thorns and rocks in advance? As the Church of Christ, we are called to care for our world, this definitely means the environment, but it also means our societies. Some of the thorns that might come up are things like mental health issues, loneliness, poverty, oppression, sexism, racism. I truly believe that the church must work on improving these areas of life for all people. In other words, we need to do some weeding before the seeds are spread then perhaps we remove some barriers which might prevent people from receiving the word and kingdom of God. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're going to go now into a time of response through prayer and contemplation. Um, There are four tables around the room. The first of which focuses on the path that the seeds are sowed on. Second is the rocky ground, rocky soil third over there is the thorny soil, the final one is the good soil. Uh, and there are three simple questions <clears throat> for you to consider: to pray over, to read Bible passages around, uh, and then ultimately on the tables, the tablecloths are all for be writing on thoughts, pictures, whatever you might have. <coughs> Excuse me. The questions are essentially: who? the people in your lives that you can see in our societies? Maybe the invisible people that we know about but don't think about. Who are they that might be on the path but Will find themselves in the rocky soil? Who do we know that's amongst thorns? In the good soil also. Second one is, what does it feel like to see this happening? What does it feel like for you as an individual to see another caught up in the thorns? What does it feel like for yourself to be caught in the thorns if you've experienced that? The final question is, what can we do to help? If we take that last bit of perspective about looking over these fields, acting as a gardener, preparing the soil, what can we do to help in our societies, our communities, our families, our workplaces? How can we prepare the way for the sower to prevent barriers? To enable people to reach the kingdom of God, to have access to it.